0: chapter 9 of zadig this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org recording by iswa zadig or the book of fate by voltaire chapter 9 the captive no sooner was zadig arrived at the egyptian village before mentioned but he found himself surrounded by a crowd the people one and all cried out "'See, see, there's the man that ran away with the beauteous Lady Misouf and murdered Cletophis. Gentleman," said he, "'God forbid that I should ever entertain a thought of running away with the lady you speak of. She is too much of a coquette, and as to Cletophis, I did not murder him, but killed him in my own defence. He endeavoured all he could to take my life away, because I entreated him to take some pity and compassion on the beauteous Misouf, whom he beat most unmercifully.' I am a stranger, who am fled hither for shelter, and it is highly improbable that upon my first entrance into a country, where I came for safety and protection, I should be guilty of two such enormous crimes as that of running away with another man's partner, and that of clandestinely murdering him on her account. The Egyptians, at that time, were just and humane. The populace, tis true, hurried Zadig to the town jail but they took care in the first place to stop the bleeding of his wounds, and afterwards examined the supposed delinquents apart, in order to discover, if possible, the real truth. They acquitted Zadig of the charge of willful and premeditated murder, but as he had taken a subject's life away, though in his own defence, he was sentenced to be a slave, as the law directed. His two beasts were sold in open market for the service of the hamlet, what money he had was distributed amongst the inhabitants, and he and his attendant were exposed in the market-place to public sale. An Arabian merchant, Setok by name, purchased them both. But as the valet, or attendant, was a robust man, and better cut out for hard labour than the master, he fetched the most money. There was no comparison to be made between them. Zadig, therefore, was a slave subordinate to his valet, They secured them both, however, by a chain upon their legs, and so linked they accompanied their master home. Zadig, as they were on the road, comforted his fellow-slave, and exhorted him to bear his misfortunes with patience. But, according to custom, he made several reflections on the vicissitudes of human life. "'I am now sensible,' said he, "'that my impromptuous fortune has some malignant influence over thine.' Every occurrence of my life hitherto has proved strangely odd and unaccountable. In the first place I was sentenced to die at Babylon for writing a short panegyric on the king, my master. In the next I narrowly escaped being strangled for the queen his royal consort speaking a little too much in my favour. And here I am a joint slave with thyself, because a turbulent fellow of a gallant would beat his lady. However, comrade, Let us march on boldly. Let not our courage be cast down. All this may possibly have a happier issue than we expect. It is absolutely necessary that these Arabian merchants should have slaves. And why should not you and I, as we are but men, be slaves as thousands of others are? This master of ours may not prove inexorable. He must treat his slaves with some thought and consideration if he expects them to do his work. This was his discourse to his comrades but his mind was more attentive to the misfortunes of the queen of Babylon. Two days afterwards, Setok set out with his two slaves and his camels for Arabia deserta. His tribe lived near the desert of Horeb. The way was long and tedious. Setok, during the journey, paid a much greater regard to Zadig's valet than to himself, because the former was the most able to load the camels. And therefore, what little distinctions were made— they were in his favor. It so happened that one of the camels died upon the road. The load which the beast carried was immediately divided and thrown upon the shoulders of the two slaves. Zadig had his share. Setok couldn't forbear laughing to see his two slaves crouching under their burden. Zadig took the liberty to explain the reason thereof, and convinced him of the laws of the equilibrium. The merchant was a little startled at his philosophical discourse, and looked upon him with a more favorable eye than at first. Zadig, perceiving he had raised his curiosity, redoubled it by instructing him in several material points, which were in some measure advantageous to him in his way of business, such as the specific weight of metals, and other commodities of various kinds, of an equal bulk, the properties of several useful animals, and the best ways and means to make such as were wild, tame by degrees, and fit for service. In short, Zadig was looked upon by his master as a perfect oracle. Setok now thought the master the much better man of the two. He used him courteously, and had no room to repent of his indulgence towards him. Being got to their journey's end, the first step that Setok took was to claim a debt of five hundred ounces of silver of a Jew had borrowed it in the presence of two witnesses. But both of them were dead, and, as the Jew was conscious, he couldn't be cast for want of evidence, appropriated the merchant's money to his own use, and thanked God that it lay in his power for once to bite an Arabian with impunity. Setok discovered to Zadig the unhappy situation of his case, as he was now become his confidant. "'Where was it, pray?' said Zadig. "'that you lent this large sum to that ungrateful infidel?' "'Upon a large stone,' said the merchant, "'at the foot of Mount Horeb. "'What sort of a man is your debtor?' said Zadig. "'Oh, he's as errant a rogue as ever breathed,' replied Setok. "'That I take for granted, but,' says Zadig, "'is he a lively active man, or is he a dull heavy-headed fellow? "'He's one of the worst of paymasters in the world,' But the merriest most sprightly fellow i ever met with very well said zadig let me be one of your counsel when your cause comes to be heard in short he summoned the jew to attend the court where when the judge was set zadig opened the case thou impartial judge of this court of equity i am come here in behalf of my master to demand of the defendant five hundred ounces of silver which he refuses to pay, and would fain traverse the debt. "'Have you, friend, your witnesses ready to prove the loan?' said the judge. "'No, they are dead. But there is a large stone still subsisting, on which the money was deposited. And if your excellence will be pleased to order the stone to be brought in court, I don't doubt but the evidence it will give will be proof sufficient of the fact.' I hope your excellence will order that the Jew and myself shall be obliged to attend the court till the stone comes, and I'll dispatch a special messenger to fetch it at my master's expense." "Your request is very reasonable," said the judge; "do as you propose," and so called another cause. When the court was ready to break up, "Well," said the judge to Zadig, "is your stone come yet?" The Jew with a sneer replied, "'Your Excellency may wait here till this time to-morrow "'before the stone will appear in court, "'for tis above six mile off, "'and it will require fifteen men to remove it from its place.' "'Tis well,' replied Zadig. "'I told your excellence that the stone would be a very material evidence. "'Since the defendant can point out the place where the stone lies, "'he tacitly confesses that it was upon that stone the money was deposited.' "'The Jew,' thus unexpectedly confuted, was soon obliged to acknowledge the debt. The judge ordered that the Jew should be tied fast to the stone, without victuals or drink, till he should advance the five hundred ounces of silver, which were soon paid accordingly, and the Jew released. The slave Zadig, and this remarkable stone witness, were in great repute all over Arabia. End of chapter 9